over the past couple of weeks, we've looked at this idea of drawing near to God. We've looked at how in the book of James we are called to submit to God and looked at how through Jesus Christ we are granted access to the throne room of God to truly draw near. And so we know that we're called and that we're given access. And so what is keeping us from drawing near? Why is it so difficult? And I think for many of us, the question is not if we are called or even given the access, but how do we do it? How do we draw near to God? And in Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 13, we, we hear Jesus as he is teaching, and we hear this. It says, Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this section of scripture is immediately followed by the rich young ruler that, that comes wondering what it is that, that he has to do to inherit the kingdom of God. And, and God says, to give up all that you have and follow me. And I don't think that that's happenstance that those two stories follow one another. Because I, I can remember as a child that if I wanted something, if I desired something, that, that I was not going to take no for an answer. Much time to my detriment with my parents or whoever. Um, but I would not settle for no. I would continually bring it up. I would continually ask for it until I got my way. I was kind of like, um, I believe it's Veruca Salt and Willy Wonka. I wanted what I want and I want it now. And I think this is the type of desire that Christ is hoping for, for and from us. This is why he states that the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Those that, that don't settle for less than. That, that, that keep going, keep striving, keep seeking to further their relationship. Those who will do whatever it takes to draw near. Whose passion drives them not to settle, but for more. To know as much as possible about God and to grow in relationship with God. To continue to research and learn and grow. Never feeling that they have or know enough. Or never believing that they have it all figured out. I think for many of us, this is why we as the church and as individuals are where we are today. Because at some point in our lives, we have settled for good enough. Or I know enough. I have God figured out and this is who God is and this is what God does. We have stopped drawing near. We have stopped growing in relationship. That, that close enough slash good enough, uh, we, we have settled for it. And not understood that God calls us to say that is not acceptable. 
We are called to never settle when it comes to our relationship with God, but to continue to draw near, to grow in that relationship, to know more. With the same passion and desire and and sometimes reckless abandon as we did when we were children and we wanted something. We sought something out. But how? How do we draw near? Uh, we, we know that we need to come with this passion and desire to continually draw near. And I think the how is through spiritual disciplines. It's drawing near to God because in a way that is not this passive way. And I think so often we go, ah, if I just want it, it will happen. But we have to be active about it. When I wanted a new bike growing up, I didn't just say, ah, I want it. My parents will know it'll happen. I dropped hints. I, I would leave um, sales papers out. I would draw pictures of bikes and hang them on the fridge. They knew. It was active. I was actively seeking it. It's intentional. Our, our, our seeking to draw near to God is not some passive, oh, whatever happens, happens, but it's active and it's intentional. It's saying, this is what I desire and I will not settle for less. We need to be disciplined in our pursuit and what works and, and, and how we engage God. John Wesley would define this idea of sometimes the spiritual disciplines as the means of grace. Because for John Wesley, God's grace is unearned. And, and we were not to be idle waiting to experience this grace either. It was unearned, but we were to engage in ways in which we could experience God's grace every day. This did not mean go out sinning, but going out and seeking ways to encounter God. This, the means of grace are ways that God works invisibly through us. Hastening and strengthening and confirming our faith so that God's grace fills us. And flows into this world. And this was things such as silence and solitude. We so often hear of, of Jesus after he would do ministries and, and engage with the crowds that he would retreat to be alone in silence and solitude. He, he so often withdrew not only from the crowds but even from the twelve just to be alone. To unplug from the world. And to plug into God is how I would define solitude. That, that we find ourselves removing ourselves from the hustle and bustle of life, but saying, God, I just need to sit with you. When I was filling out my pastor evaluation form, um, one of the questions was, how do you observe an intentional Sabbath? And this is that question I think we should all ask. This intentional Sabbath is not just taking a time of rest and, turn, and sitting down and watching TV, but how are we intentional about having time to rest in who God is and what God is doing in our lives? How are we intentional about creating moments without, throughout our days that say, God, speak to me and give me ears to hear? Because, as we mentioned earlier, it's not a passive thing, it's an active thing. We have to be intentional about this. Henry Cloud is quoted as saying that there is a difference between solitude and isolation. I think, for many of us, we, we fear solitude because we don't want to be isolated. But solitude the difference in solitude and isolation, according to Henry Cloud, is one is connected and one isn't. Solitude replenishes while isolation diminishes. 
And what he's saying is solitude is that moment where you go to restrength, to, to refuel, to, to be plugged in, to be connected to God. It's not just going into a dark room and sitting by yourself, but it's seeking the presence of God in a real and tangible way. It's, it's drawing near to God. And sometimes to draw near to God, we must push away from the world. Not sometimes, most times, all times, we must push away from the world. This is why that scripture of letting the children come to me is followed by the rich young man, is that in order to come to God fully, to draw near to God fully, we must push away from the ways of the world. Now, like I said, it's not just about solitude, but silence. And this is a word that for many of us, myself included, we hate. For many of us, we can't even go to sleep unless there's a fan or a white noise machine to help us sleep. We don't even have silence when we're trying to rest. And it's not just external, but internal noise as well. That even when we find ourselves in those quiet moments externally, the internal of our minds begins to run through a to-do list. Replaying conversations of, of what we could have said differently or, or what are they thinking about us or, or will this get better and, and what if, what if, what if starts running through our mind. And so often I think we avoid silence because of anxiety and fear. And not, not fear necessarily of the silence but of what may be said or heard in that silence. What God may say to us and we don't want to hear it those hard truths so we fill our our minds and our lives with noise so that we can ignore what God is saying in the silence silence shouldn't be a, a fearful place but a place of strength it's where God speaks to us in solitude not isolation because solitude is that moment where we seek the presence of God and God alone And we do this through another spiritual discipline, through another means of grace, which is that of prayer, that conversation with God. It's not just speaking to God, but it's listening, as we've mentioned before. Some of the most powerful prayers that I've come across, um, because so often one of the things I hear is, well, I don't know what to say when I pray. And God's not necessarily interested in the words that we use so much as the heart in which we come to him with and that transparency and that honesty that we come to God with in our prayer. Some of the most powerful prayers are simple things like thank you, God help, or or a prayer of worship of God, you are great, you're awesome, you're wonderful. A prayer of submission, God, I don't know what to do, but I, I know you do and I give it up to you. And I've noticed that as we start to develop this kind of prayer lifestyle where we we find ourselves continually finding moments to say thank you and, and prayers of worship and help and submission, as we continue to pray, the, the prayer and what we actually are praying becomes secondary. But it's more about spending time with God that truly shapes us and truly matters. The words coming out of our mouth don't matter as much as the time that we get to spend in the presence of God, hearing God speak with us, and knowing that God is listening to our hearts. Not to say that communication isn't important, 
but it's more important to just be with. I remember uh, when me and Anna first started dating, and any time we were together, awkward silences, I felt like I needed to fill them with some sort of words, noise. I wanted to to feel like we were connecting, and so I I continually have conversation, conversation, conversation. But the longer we were in relationship together, the more I realized that there was less a need for conversation, and sometimes there was just a need for quality time and being present with each other. And this is what happens through our prayer lives, that sometimes we don't have to say a word, and God goes, I just want to be with you. Be present. Another way in which we can draw near to God that we've spoken about many times is through the scriptures and, and not searching out the scriptures for to support and give answers that we already want, that we already have to support our own personal lifestyles, but allowing the scriptures to search us, to speak to us in the here and now. This is why we do things like the March for Wisdom where we've been throughout the month of March going through the book of Proverbs because there are 31 chapters in 31 days. And each day you read a chapter. And you allow it to speak to you. And then you go and share with somebody what it's, being, what it's saying to you. And, and searching the scriptures and allowing the scriptures to search you many times is in connection with a, having a time of devotion. A devotional time built in but, but for many of us, we have allowed our devotions and, and reading of commentaries and, and hearing of sermons and reading notes to replace our time away with God. To, we have allowed our devotion to be our quote-unquote time of diving into the Word. And we've, we've left our Bibles behind and we begin to... to read and believe that that what the upper room says or what this devotion book says or what that devotion book says or what this preacher preaches is always correct instead of diving into the word and allowing it to speak to us. See, we must listen for what God is telling us, not necessarily someone else. These are a list, and it's not an exhaustive list, of ways that we can start to strengthen our relationship with God. That we can draw near. You may have other ways that you draw near to God in your own life. I challenge you, I I encourage you to find ways that you can draw near, but to, to be like a child as you come to God and to do so by any means necessary. Amen. Amen.